And when she saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the fruit was desirable to make one wise, she took of it, and she ate. And she gave some to her husband also, who was with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they saw that they were naked, and they took fig leaves and sewed them together and made for themselves a covering. And they heard the voice of the Lord God as he walked in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord in the trees in the midst of the garden. And God called to the man and said, where are you? And the man responded and said, I heard your presence in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid. And God said to the man, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Father God, in that one moment in the bite of a piece of fruit, all of humanity changed And God, in that moment when we took the fruit as humanity and we ate of it, our relationship with you was broken. We were taken from your presence and cast out of the Garden of Eden. And God, from that point on, everything that would happen from that point on was in the shadow of sin, was in the shadow of a lack of obeying your commands. And God, here we are today in 2013, and we're still part of that narrative. We're still part of the story of you and us. We're in this narrative. We are now the key components, each one of us. And God, I pray that today, through your word, that we would realize that you were sovereign, that from the very beginning, you knew what was going to happen. And God, today I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would bind Satan from this room. I pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us into truth and to knowledge and to understanding about what it means that you were right there all along, helping us answer the question of what now? What now? because of our sin. Help us, Father, to have a deeper understanding as Christ followers of that fact. And God, I pray that you would help those who came in here today and they're seeking or they're searching or they're wondering, may my words or someone else's words or things or someone's presence point them to you, the one who came as a hero. Guide our time this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, today we round the corner in this series, in this narrative. We round the corner, we enter week three of the story, and we kind of round the corner, we're coming into the last chapter, the last part of this story, but we have to understand this part of the story. We have to understand this piece of this narrative that we're going to take a look at and that you just heard from. We have to understand that there was evil. We began, first of all, in the garden this beautiful place, God's creation. And in week one, we established the fact that God put into place this 
wonderful creation and he did it for his glory and he did it for our pleasure and his original intent, I don't want you to miss this, his original intent for us even in 2013 was that we would live amongst creation in perfection. That would be nice, wouldn't it? But we have the story of Adam and Eve. We have the story of the fruit that was taken, the forbidden fruit that was taken. And so in episode one, we realized that creation was put into existence for the glory of God and for our pleasure. In week two, in episode two, we discovered that paradise was lost really even before sin happened because there was an evil presence that was so incredibly persuasive that there was once an angel called Lucifer that God cast because he wanted to be like God. And that evil presence took the form of a serpent, of a snake. And today we find ourselves in episode three with the real dilemma that requires a hero. It requires someone saving us. Today we discover the worst of humanity's consequences of violating the one rule that God established and how it applies to us even today, how we deal with sin's consequences. Put simply, we answer the question that I'm sure that Adam and Eve at this point were wondering, and that all of humanity in some aspect or another has ever wondered in all of life, what now? What now? Sin entered the world. This relationship with God, this walking with him in the cool of the day in this beautiful, perfect garden was now lost. What now? What do we do? We enter the dilemma of the narrative. There are thousands of answers to the question of what sin's consequences are. Life as um, God intended for Adam and for Eve and for you and me was no longer possible. Death for humanity would be certain. Guilt would be now something that we dealt with when we displease or disappoint the Almighty. We would have to try to untangle the web of shame Oh, boy, we deal with shame, don't we? We as humanity deal with shame. Adam and Eve would now have to try to figure out how to react to the sin. I want you to capture that. They would have to now figure out how to react to the sin and the consequences of sin that now covered humanity. Think about this for a moment. Most conservative theologians believe that creation happened somewhere between six and eight thousand years ago and for eight six to eight thousand years of human history we have dealt with sin in a in a amazing almost eerie similarity to the way that adam and eve dealt with it back in the garden of eden we deal with sin the same way in 2013 in many respects that adam and eve dealt with it all the way back in the beginning days. Take a look at your notes this morning. We have to answer the what now. The problem is, is that we as humans, we try and we try and we try and we try again to figure out on our own what the what now is in terms of sin and the consequences of in this broken relationship with God Almighty. I want you to take a look at your notes and see how very similar we deal with sin Very similar it is to the way Adam and Eve dealt with it. First of all, we think we get away with sin, but we never do. We think we get away with sin, but we never do. That's a fact. That's a truth that you can absolutely, confidently live life 
by. We never, ever get away with sin. Look at Genesis 3. I want to point out verses 6, 7, and 8 this morning. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and it was desirable to make a person wise, she took of its fruit, and she ate. And she also shared it with her husband. Thank you, wives, for sharing with us. We men appreciate that. Okay, I'm not blaming the woman here, okay? That's not what I'm saying. We just appreciate it when you share with us. Number seven, verse seven, then the eyes of both of them were open. Do you see there's the action? There's the sin. They did exactly the one rule. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? One rule, just one. It'd be nice to have one rule. They violated the one command, the one rule that God told them not to, and immediately what sets in? Guilt, shame, embarrassment. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. To this point, they were naked, but they didn't know it. How does that happen, right? Well, we don't know life before sin. That's how it happens. We don't know life in perfection. And that's what Adam and Eve were in until they violated the one rule that God had set for them. And they sewed fig leaves together, we'll get to that in a moment, and they made for themselves loincloths, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Wow. In the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Incredible, isn't it? Incredible that there they are, and all of a sudden, in an instant, God knew that they had sinned. It's interesting, the story could have gone a different way, you realize. There could have been this long gap of Adam and Eve kind of wallowing in that sin. It could have gone that they, um, you know, they spent this long time trying to figure out that the presence of God didn't show up right then and there. There could have been this long gap. There could have been all these questions in between the time that they sinned and the time that they were confronted with their sin. But I believe God is a sovereign God, and I believe that his presence showed up immediately. And I believe that he did it to point out something to all of us in 2013 and all of human history that's gone before us, and it's this. You can't hide from your sin. You can't hide from those things that you do wrong that violate the principles of God. There's a cycle there. First is the thought, then the action, then the shame, then the consequence, and then the realization that they were caught. Do you remember when you were young and you got caught? You remember getting caught? I, I have a sister, and um, she's three years younger than me, and there would be times when we would scheme and we would come up with a plan and we would know where mom and dad drew the line, and we would talk together about, um, you know, uh, coming across that line. And most of the time, um, I, I would violate the line, and I would be the one to get caught. But um, it was interesting, because if you recall when you were young, here's kind of how this goes. Uh, you do something that mom or dad or a teacher or an aunt and uncle or grandparents, you do something that you absolutely know that they've told you not to do. And then there's the waiting there's the nervous silence. Did they hear me? Did they see it? I, I think we got away with it. And in my house, it was always the footsteps that was the first clue. We heard mom and dad's footsteps coming down the hallway, and all of a sudden, we knew, oh boy, we're in trouble. 
And then the next thing my sister and I heard was this. My dad, or many times my mom, saying, Todd, Katie, where are you? They knew something was wrong because of what? Our silence. They knew something was wrong because of our silence. We knew the moment that we heard them that we were caught. It's exactly what happened all the way back in the Garden of Eden. When they heard the presence of God in the garden, guess what? They knew the gig was up, didn't they? Uh, you know, it was, it was the, the elephant in the room. Like, God's gonna catch us. We deal with sin so very similar to the way Adam and Eve deal with it. We try to hide. We try to cover ourselves. We try to hide from God. It seems in my house growing up as though our parents were just everywhere. They were everywhere. I mean, they were everywhere. They saw everything. They found out everything. And my, in my childhood, um, not getting away with something that I did that was wrong um, continued into my junior and, and high school years. I was one of those kids who um, I would try as best I could to do the right thing, but I was a kid. I was a teenager, and the lure of peer pressure and the lure of being rebellious, sometimes I wanted to do those things just like any kid. And when I did, I, I would really hope, and honestly, sometimes I would pray that I just didn't get caught. I always got caught. I'm telling you, I didn't get away with anything in junior high or high school. So much so that my friends were like, Todd, you are not invited to Friday and Saturday night. We are going to do this by ourselves because you're the bad luck charm. You're going to get caught. And if we are with you, we're getting caught with you. So sorry, we'll see you on Monday at school. That was me. That was my growing up. So much so that I asked my mom one day, I said, Mom, I really don't do that much wrong. <laughs> That's what we do with sin, right? that much wrong. It was just an apple. It was just a fruit. It was just a lie. It was just a cover-up. It was just a small little cheating thing. And so I asked my mom, I said, mom, why is it that I always get caught? And she explained to me, I remember her talking to me, she had so much wisdom. And she said, you know, it's interesting, the more that you get caught when you do wrong, the more you know God loves you because he disciplines those he loves. And mom's words were so true. They were so true. But I want to tell you this this morning. That wasn't just for me. That's for each one of you who call yourselves Christ followers, who have said yes to Jesus. You can't escape his love. And love sometimes means that he's going to discipline you. Love sometimes means that you're going to be found out that your sins are never hidden from him. And then my mom said this. She ended the conversation this way. She said, Todd, if you start, if you stop being caught, be worried. If you stop being caught, be worried. If you can hide it, be worried about your life. And I think that's the way that we need to view our sin. We need to view our shortcomings. God immediately found out that Adam and Eve had done the one thing that he told them not to do. But it's interesting because we, in our human nature, we try to hide it. We, we try to run from it, and we think that we get away with it. The human nature is to think how, how great it is that we got away with something, isn't it? We, we even might be prideful about that as junior high and middle school and high schoolers. Let's be honest, right, middle schoolers, right, students? I mean, we try sometimes to, uh, to, to brag about the fact that we got away with something. Students, you, you, may, be, you may have uh, 
tricked your parents or teachers by lying about how much of that book that you read for the class that you were supposed to read, and you think you got away with it, and you may have for a while. Husbands and wives, you may think that you um, have covered up that little financial thing that you don't want your spouse to see, and you may have covered it up for a while. Businessmen and women, you may have cheated on that form so you can make more money, and you may think you've gotten away with it, and maybe you have for a while. And here's the point. There are two points. Number one, it's that our sin will always become public. Our hidden private sin, sooner or later, it may happen in a moment or it may happen years later, but our private sins always become public, don't they? They do. But there's a more important point that our story drives at, is that there's never, never any hiding your sin from God. There's never any hiding your sin from God. And this is not a message of guilt. This is not a message that should push you towards shame and guilt. You know what this should do? It should push all of us towards honesty. We should never try to hide from God because guess what? We can't. He knows it all anyway. We'll get to that later. He knows it all anyway. Our tendency is to do what Adam and Eve did and hide. We think that somehow if we hide ourselves from the presence of God, that the consequence of what we did won't be realized. We think we can hide. It's not going to be in a tree in a garden, but maybe it's behind a person or a thing or a toy or a vehicle or a home or a career. And we hide behind these things thinking that maybe, 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 if I do enough good, maybe, 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 I'll get away with it. God knows it all. But we like hiding. And when that doesn't work, we resort to the second thing. And that is, is we try to fix it. Take a look at the second point this morning in your notes. When we try to cover up our sin, we fall short. When we try to cover up our sin, we absolutely fall short. Usually our immediate reaction to sin is to hide. And hiding from our sin is bad enough, but then we try to fix the consequences on our own. We try to repair the consequences of sin. I want you to hear something this morning. For some of you, this is old news. For some of you, this may be absolutely brand new. You can't by yourself fix the consequences of what you've done wrong in the eyes of God. You can't. You can't fix it. Take a look at what happened in verse 7 of Genesis 3. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And take a look at what they did. They took fig leaves together, and they sewed. I love the way the ESV puts this. I mean, it's really funny. You can laugh at this. They made for themselves loincloths. Nice. Palm Sunday, and you're hearing about loincloths. I'm sure you're absolutely loving this. They took leaves, and they tried to cover themselves up. I, I can't imagine that it worked that well. They didn't have a needle and thread yet. I mean, this was a feeble attempt to cover the result of sin. But they tried to fix it. They tried to repair this broken relationship with God. They tried to fix the consequences of their sin and fix the shame that they thought they had in God's eyes. It was their attempt to fix, fix, fix the separation that they had 
from God. And so they took leaves and they sewed them together to try to cover themselves. Have you ever tried to cover up something you've messed up? Cindy and I have been married for 17 years. In our first year of being married, her younger sister, Christy, who was in college at the time, she was over at our apartment all the time, mooching off our food, watching our TV, using our laundry stuff, and we loved it because we loved Christy. But she was over all the time. Well, one day I was by myself in our apartment. Cynthia and Christy were probably out shopping, and I went to grab a cup of coffee, and I took one of the mugs that we had gotten for our wedding, and I pulled it off the shelf, and it dropped on the floor, and it broke. And when a mug like that breaks, it doesn't break into one piece, does it? It breaks into about five or six or maybe a hundred pieces. And that's exactly what happened that day. And I took it and I put some super glue on it. And I've never been skilled with my hands ever in this way, especially with intricate things. And I tried to fix that mug and it looked like my six-year-old Sean had done it. It was goopy. It had, I mean, it was, it was ugly. And I thought, okay, I can't let my new wife see, A, how clumsy I am, and B, how bad of a fixer I am. So I hid it in the back of the shelf. And a few weeks later, she went to grab herself some coffee, and she pulled that mug out, and she said, what happened? And I said, I think Christy might have done that. (laughs) I did exactly what Adam and Eve did. They blamed each other. My point is this, I I couldn't fix the result of dropping that mug. I couldn't fix the results of shattering something that looked so nice. Hear me this morning, we on our own cannot fix the results of sin. When we look into a mirror, we see a perfect picture, don't we? We see a perfect reflection. I want you to take a look at this picture of a mirror. We see a perfect reflection of who we are. Other than the blemishes that we have, it's an absolute perfect reflection of who we are. I want you to capture this this morning. For those of you who are feeling guilty about this message in the first place, this is how God sees you. This is how God sees you. It's a perfect reflection of who you are. A mirror is that. But sin causes the mirror in our eyes to be completely shattered. Sin causes the picture in our eyes of our reflection, take a look at the second one, to be completely and utterly shattered. And so the result is a distortion of who we really are. Are you with me on that? Sin distorts who we are in our eyes It makes a mess of who we are in our eyes. It's like a broken mirror. Have you ever tried to repair a broken mirror or seen a mirror that's tried to been repaired? It's a mess. You know what they'll usually tell you? Go buy a new mirror. Throw the old one out. We cannot fix the results of sin on our own. Only the hero can fix it. I want you to take a look at what the prophet Isaiah spoke in this regard, in Isaiah 59. Take a look at these words. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear is dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. That's the what now part of the story. 
and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. And here's what I want you to see is verse 3. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. That's a big word for sin. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. Happy Palm Sunday. Isn't that encouraging? (laughs) That's the problem, though, is we can't fix it. We cannot fix the results of sin. And we try, we cover up, we hide, we try to fix the situation. And you know what we end up doing? We end up complicating our lives even more when we try and we try and we try and we try to fix what we've undone. Now, I'm not saying that when we sin and all of the wake and the consequences of sin, I'm not saying that we should, try, that we should not try to pick up those pieces. What I'm saying is in the narrative of us and God, we can't fix it. There's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. Hear me this morning. There's not enough works. There's not enough good things. There's not enough church involvement. There's not enough 30 projects in 30 days to fix the problem between us and God. There's a gap. There's a separation that required a hero. Take a look at your third point. When we try to avoid our sin, God keeps us accountable. I got to be honest with you, I don't like this part. (laughs) I I would imagine if I had you raise your hands with how many of you liked accountability, there'd be a few hands raised. Accountability is not fun, but part of the God-man's story, part of the story of the hero is that God keeps us accountable. Take a look at verse 11. I love God's response to Adam admitting that he was afraid of God. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Here's the interesting part. God knew the answers to these questions, didn't he? The the Bible is very clear on the fact that God knows all. And, And I've always wondered, why in the world did God ask those questions? I want you to think about this for a moment. David speaks of knowing God, or God's all-knowing power in Psalm 147. Luke speaks of God having all knowledge in Acts 15. The writer of Proverbs in Proverbs 15 speaks of God's limitless knowledge. It wasn't that God didn't know that Adam did those things. It wasn't that God was actually trying to find Adam and Eve. It wasn't that he didn't know. He knows all. He is omniscient and he knows everything. So why did God ask these questions? I believe it's because inquiry keeps us accountable. Inquiry keeps us accountable, doesn't it? When someone asks you a question when they turn over every rock, it keeps us accountable. It keeps us honest. I believe that God was trying to keep Adam honest. He wanted him to think about what he had done. He wanted him to dwell on the actions, not to cause guilt, but to show him that now all of a sudden, all of humanity for eternity, forever, would be in need of a savior, would be in need of a hero. So God asks questions that he already knew the answer to, not to frustrate Adam, but to lead him to a point where he would think and be honest about, honest about his actions. It wasn't to chastise or punish. In fact, In fact, his grace was demonstrated in the question itself. So God's omniscience, his all-knowing, was an example of him bringing Adam into accountability, but so was his omnipresence. 
God is all-knowing, all but He is also all-present. The, the Bible's pretty clear on that one. David in Psalm 139 speaks of uh, not being able to flee from the presence of God. The prophet Amos in Amos 9 speaks of no one being able to hide from God. I have a really great mentor in my life who was with me uh, when I uh, started growing in my walk with God at 15. His name's Jeff Cranston. You know him. He's the pastor at our church, uh, our partner church over in Bluffton. And Jeff used to say this, Todd, in your journey with God, in growing in your faith, you need to, to um, visualize or imagine that God is right there, always with you, watching everything you do. And then he would pause and he'd say, you know why? Because he is. Because he is. He's right there watching everything we do, good and bad. He's with, there to comfort us. He's there to challenge us. God is always right there, and he does it, I believe, to give us accountability in our lives. Hebrews 4.13 says this, No creature is hidden from his sight. No creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eye of him to whom we must give account. There's nothing that's hidden from the eyes of God. Look at what the psalmist said in Psalm 139, verses 2 and 4. He's crying out to God, and he says, You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. And before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it all together. That verse is incredibly challenging, isn't it? Because it's both convicting, but it's also comforting that God knows everything about us. He knows our thoughts even before they're on our tongue. We can't hide from Him. We, we can't fix our own problems, our own sin problems. But God's sovereignty, please don't miss this, His sovereignty leads us to accountability and honesty for what we've done. For some of you who are here today, just that fact may be incredibly, incredibly freeing. I want you to hear it. God knows it all. He knows every part of it. Don't let that drive you to shame and guilt. Let it drive you to an honesty, a, a, a relaxation in your talking with God. Hey, he knows it all anyway. Like a dad whose arms are wide open and says, hey, I know what you did is wrong. But come on in here, let's, let's talk about it. Let's have an honest conversation for some of you who may be searching today, that question may drive you to wonder what Adam and Eve wondered. What now? What now? And that's our bottom line this morning. Someone had to die to pay the penalty of sin. Someone had to die to pay the penalty of sin. Humanity at this point in our story with God and man, humanity needed a hero. Sin had its consequences. Take a look at some of these consequences in verses 14 and 15 as we close this morning. The Lord God, he speaks to the serpent before he speaks to the husband and the wife, to Adam and Eve. He speaks to the serpent. He said this to the snake. Because you have all done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go. Yeah, we know about that around here, don't we? And above all, above all the beasts in the fields, on your belly you shall go. And dust you shall eat all the days of your life. But take a look at 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman. And I will, uh, and between your offspring and her offspring, and here's what I want you to capture, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. 
Experts tell us if you read up on snakes, which I didn't enjoy doing this week, but I did it anyway. If you read up on snakes, their whole purpose in life is this. They're protecting their head. They protect their head. That's their whole purpose in life is to protect their head. Their tail can get cut off and guess what? It grows back. That's right. But if their head is gone, they cease to exist. The word for bruise there is literally to crush, to crush, and to be trampled down. You know what God's saying there? Evil will one day be destroyed. Evil will one day be destroyed, but the heel of mankind will be bruised, just bitten, not destroyed. It's our heel. We don't need it to live. Evil will one day be destroyed. You know what the point is? Is that in God's sovereignty, he had a plan for the dilemma the whole time. He had the answer for what now? Jesus rode into Jerusalem that day that we celebrate today, Palm Sunday. And the crowd in Jerusalem took these palm branches and they waved and they put them down in his tracks. And even entering Jerusalem was an act that demonstrated the sovereignty of God. He knew that humanity would have to answer the question of what now. He knew it from day one. He knew it from the beginning of time itself. And he had a plan. As we close, I want us to consider Isaiah 53, verse 10, that demonstrates this point from the message. The writer says this, Still, it's what God had in mind all along to crush him with pain. The plan was that he gave himself as an offering for sin so that he would see life come from it. Life, life, and more life. And God's plan will deeply prosper through him. We don't have to hide from it. We don't have to fix it. God leads us to a place of honesty and accountability for it because he had a plan all along. We should praise him and give him glory because he was a sovereign God that knew exactly what would happen from the beginning of time. And if you're here today and you've strayed from God, the point is, is to be honest with him. Just to be brutally honest with God. He loves you. His mercy and grace is so much more expansive than his discipline in your life. He may discipline you, but it's because he loves you more. It's because he has more grace and more mercy. And he wants you to reestablish your relationship with him. If you're in here today and you're seeking, you're searching, my prayer for you is that God would lead you to a point where you make a decision for Christ. Please come back next week. You've got to hear episode four. You've got to hear, hear how God saves humanity because he had the answer to what now? Let's pray this morning. Father God, I'm so glad you knew what was going on from day one. I'm so glad that in your sovereignty, you led Jesus into Jerusalem that day. And the people cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna. They cried out, Hallelujah, the King has come. And God, it was all a part of your plan to redeem us from the sin problem, to answer the question of what now? What now? God, evil came into this world long before creation. 
evil came into this world and took the form of a serpent and was so incredibly persuasive that we as humans gave in. And Father God, today, here we are in 2013 on a rainy Palm Sunday on Hilton Head Island, and God, we sometimes ask that question, what now? What now? And God, you, you knew. You knew exactly what was going to happen from the beginning of time. You're all-knowing. You're all-present. You're all-powerful. But God, your love covered all of the dilemma of humanity. It covered all of the shame of sin. It covered all of the guilt that we deal with today because of the sins of yesterday. And God, I give you glory and I give you praise. I pray, Father, that you would keep that in our minds whether we're seeking or whether we've been Christ followers for a long time, help us to be ever aware that you and your sovereignty knew it would happen all along. We sing hallelujah and we give you praise this morning for that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.